This is the Illuminate Podcast, a Sandy Boy production. Each week on the Illuminate Podcast, the hosts will bring you insightful conversations and stories of people who are illuminating their own lives through their business, work, community, family, and world. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Illuminate Podcast. I'm Kristen Struer, one of your hosts, and you are listening to episode 52. Today's guest is an 11-time mom. Yes, you heard that right. Elizabeth Friedland has been a foster mom to 11 children, and one of the foster children became her adoptive child. In this episode, Elizabeth talks about what it has been like to be a single woman fostering children and the journey to adopting her son, Jack, in an open adoption. Elizabeth dives into the joys, challenges, and realities of fostering, where there are challenges within the system, why she has decided to take this path, and her advice for anyone considering fostering. Elizabeth's optimism, energy, and humor are contagious and uplifting throughout the whole episode. She is a believer and builder of community, and her outlook on life is that we are all here to help others, and we need to try to impact other people's lives for the better. You will leave this episode refreshed with a new knowledge on foster care, even if you know some things about foster care. And it will leave you thinking about what are you going to be doing in your corner of the world to make it better and how you can get into the arena. I hope you love my conversation with Elizabeth. Welcome to the Illuminate Podcast, Elizabeth. I am so happy to have you here today. I am so excited to be here. I was a listener before uh, I came on this podcast, so I'm excited to be uh, on the other side of it now. Okay, so tell me, who were you listening to that brought you into the podcast? Yeah, so um, for those who are in the adoption or foster care space, you might be familiar with her Instagram handle is at Big Tough Girl, and she is a fantastic educator in the adoption space, and she is a birth mom herself who chose adoption for her child, and so um, she's well known in the community for educating hopeful adoptive parents and foster parents about the birth mom perspective, and so she was interviewed on this podcast, which is how I found it, and I sobbed my way through that um, <laughs> through that episode, and it was just really fantastic, and so when I got the email asking to be honest, I was like, oh my gosh, I know that one. <laughs> now you're coming from the diff- a different perspective and you have been a foster mom, are currently a foster mom and are now an adoptive mom. That's right. Yeah. I started fostering about four and a half years ago um, in 2016. And um, then I've, uh, since then I've fostered, um, we're now at 11, 11 children. So um, 10 uh, infants. And then we have our first teenager that just came to move in with us about a week ago. So, and then my son, who is now three, um, came to me through foster care when he was an infant and uh, we finalized his adoption about a year and a half ago. So uh, 11 time mom, I guess. 11 time. <laughs> mom. Okay. So 2016, you started doing this. What brought you into, to becoming a foster parent? What motivated you? Why did you decide to do it? 
So I knew about foster care because at the time I was working at an advertising agency. I'm in the field of public relations and communications. And one of our clients was a foster care agency. And so in doing marketing and branding work for them, I sort of learned about foster care and the need for foster parents. And I thought, you know, this was, you know, 2011 to 2014 when I was doing this. And, And I thought, well, that's really cool and interesting. And that would be fun to do someday, you know, when I'm married, when I have a big home, um, when I'm more established and I sort of filed it away. And then I, I, I sort of looked around one day and realized that I was actually in a pretty good situation to foster. Um, I, you know, had an extra bedroom in my, in my apartment. I had a job that was really flexible and I could work from home and, and more or less make my own hours. And I really, um, you know, really wanted to have kids at the time. I didn't think I wanted to have kids permanently. I really liked that temporary aspect of foster care. Um, but you know, Mr. Wright hadn't come along yet and he still hasn't by the way. So, you know, if anyone's listening, send him my way. (laughs) But I thought, I think I'm in a good position to start this. And um, it was a little crazy doing it as um, sort of a young single woman. But as I have since learned, there are so many young single women um, and older single women who are doing this. So I was by no means alone. So is there a whole community of young single women that you can rely on and lean on and ask questions to and spend time with? Oh my gosh, there are so many of us and there are so many who are doing way more than I am. Um, there are, I mean, one of my um, good friends who's a single foster and adoptive mom, she is a teacher, she lives in California where things are very expensive and she has three kids. Um, and there are you know, others who have four and five and, and sort of do this um, you know, almost as their full-time work, their full-time passion work. But there's this huge Facebook group for single foster moms and there's this um, tribe of us on Instagram. I mean, there are literally thousands thousands of us doing this great work. And so it's been really cool to share our very unique struggles and and cheer each other on and really be a a support system for each other. That's awesome. And it's awesome to know that the system is placing children within families and homes of people that just have this passion and they, and the heart for this. Exactly. Well, and it's interesting too, because a lot of times a single woman is a really great fit for a child in foster care because they might've had, um, unfortunately and tragically, a lot of trauma at the hands of men, um, Mm. through abuse. And so oftentimes, especially older children, but even younger kids too, they really don't feel comfortable in a home with men. And so, um, a lot of times they are looking for a single parent, a single woman led household so that the child can feel more comfortable and safe there. So it's unfortunate that we are needed in that way, but it's also, really fantastic that um, we can be a really great home for for those children. That makes a lot of sense. Who was your first foster child? What was that experience like? Um, well, I can't say her name. Yep, but of course. She, yeah, um, she was beautiful, like the most beautiful baby I've ever seen in the world. I remember I was so eager to get that first phone call. So I, I knew that I'd been licensed. My, my foster license came into the mail and then it's just a waiting game. And you're like, Oh my gosh, when am I going to get the call? When am I going to get the call? And I would always go on these really long drives. Um, I just, kind of laugh when I think about the free time I had then before kids, but I would go on these long drives, just like willing the phone to ring. And it was on one of those drives when the phone rang and the the placement worker said, we have a three month old baby girl. And I don't even think they gave me all the details before I was like, yes, yes, absolutely. Yes. (laughs) And I started crying. I was really emotional. And I called my mom and I was like, it's a girl. There's a girl. Um, and so I you know, went home and uh, about two hours later, the caseworker knocked on my door with this beautiful baby girl. 
And even though I'd gone through all of this training and um, had done a lot of research on what foster care was like, I guess I was naively under the impression that the caseworker would maybe stay for a few hours, like make sure we were all settled, would have, you know, a routine that she would give us that the, that the mom told her about. And of course, that is not at all the reality, as I know now. And so the caseworker, you know, maybe stayed for three minutes. She had me sign a few forms and then she was just like, okay, bye. And I remember <gasps> just sobbing and I called my mom in a panic. I'm like, I have a baby. What do I do? <laughs> so it was, it was a really huge adjustment. I mean, I tell people it's a little bit like finding out you're pregnant, going into labor and then having the baby in like a two hour span. <laughs> uh, so it was a shock. And, um, but she was just like, uh, she was amazing. She made me a mom and I will always remember her. And I learned so much from her. And I think I really grew as a person because of her. And she ended up staying um, about five months um, until she was reunited with an aunt. And now um, I have heard through the grapevine that she is reunited with her mother, which is really oh, great. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And she's she would be almost four years old now, which is just crazy to think. Do As a foster parent, do you have any opportunity to reconnect with any of those children later on? Or are there privacy elements around that? Yeah, there are definitely privacy rules around it. So the, the caseworkers um, are not allowed to give you any information about where they are or even how they're doing once they leave your care. However, um, we, if you're able to build a relationship with the, the, the biological parents, um, which I was in this case, a lot of times you can, you know, Facebook message them or text them and, and ask how they're doing. Of course, they're certainly not obligated to tell you, but that's how I, the, the little information that I do have about the children who have been in my care, that's how I find out a, a combination of social media sleuthing and, um, and relationships that I've built with the parents. So in those, okay, so you had her for five months, you basically birthed this baby in two hours. <laughs> and how did your, how did your day-to-day -day life change during that? It changed so much more than I thought I would. Um, again, I look back at this and just think about how naive I was. I thought, um, I thought, well, you know what? I won't even need a nanny. I won't even need daycare. I can work from home and, and babies just sleep so much. So she'll just sleep quietly next to me and I'll do my work and it'll be just the sweetest thing in the world. And um, as anyone who has had a baby understands, <laughs> that's not how babies work. They cry a lot. You're feeding them every three hours. Uh, you know, there's just a lot of maintenance. And, um, and she was a particularly um, tough baby to soothe. She just cried a ton. It was very hard to, to quiet and to soothe. So she was, um, I think even more, uh, work than your average baby. And so my picture of, um, you know, just keeping my life very much the same, except I have this adorable baby in tow was not at all how it turned out. <laughs> um, and eventually I think one of the things that she taught me is that it's okay to ask for help and that no parent, whether you're a foster parent, adoptive parent, single parent, married parent, no parent can do it alone. And I really felt like at that time, and it actually took me a few kids to, to fully realize this. I felt ashamed for asking for help. I felt like I would be a burden to somebody else if I asked for help. I thought this was my decision to make. I need to do it all myself. And um, 
my own mental health really suffered. Um, I, I sort of tell people sometimes I feel like I went through a type of postpartum depression um, when I had her. And I've talked with other adoptive and foster mothers who echo this. And this is not to minimize at all the very different postpartum depression that women um, can have after giving birth, because obviously hormones and the trauma of childbirth come into play. So I just want to say I have complete respect for that and realize it's very different than what I dealt with. But I think anyone who has a child, particularly when you're solo, um, you go through through so many major adjustments in your life and it's exhausting. You know, um, I, I didn't take any maternity leave. So I was trying to work a very demanding job while being up every two to three hours at night. And, um, and I, I just got really depressed and, and anxious and it had nothing to do with, with her. She was amazing, but just, um, feeling like I had to do it all myself and I couldn't lean on anyone. Mm -hmm. So it was a really big reality check, but it was also the best experience I ever had. And, even though it was so tough in so many ways, I knew that I had found my calling and I knew that this is something I wanted to keep doing as long as I could. That's amazing. And especially, I mean, man, those first few months of baby life are hard. They are so hard. They're so hard. <laughs> and that you felt called to do that after that um, experience. That's amazing. Yeah. So tell me, so you have a son now. I do. Who is your son. You're his adoptive mother. Tell me when he came into your life. Yeah, I was on, so these calls always happen at the weirdest times. I was on a business trip in Chicago and having breakfast with a coworker and I got the call from a caseworker and he said, we actually have three babies that need a home right now. And he told me a little bit about each one. And that's a tough situation to be in because saying yes to one means you're saying no to the others. And you're just like, how do I say, how do I pick? Um, but at the time they said, we had this little baby boy named Jack and he's three months old and he was in a foster home, um, who wanted him gone. Um, they said he was crying too much and they couldn't handle it. And, um, uh, you know, my heart just really went out to him. And since my first placement was a crier, <laughs> I thought I got this, I can handle this. <laughs> and so, um, Two days later, I think it was actually a day later when I got back into town, I um, went to the DCS offices and picked him up and he was just like, he looked like a tiny doll, just like the fairest skin and the rosiest cheeks and these perfect little pink lips. And he was so peaceful and serene and he was really like that for a long time. And I thought, oh my gosh, I can't believe this other foster home said that he cried too much. Like he's just such a chill baby. Um, and so at the time, his case was very much still reunification and his parents were on a plan to um, earn him back and they had visitation. Um, but then over the next year and a half or so, it was clear that his case was moving toward adoption. And I, um, you know, I had fallen in love with him from day one. And so when his case did move to adoption, I said, yes, absolutely. I would love to be his adoptive mother. Um, and it was kind of a long process. Um, so that was just finalized, uh, about a year and three months ago, even though he's, um, you know, three and a half and has been with me since he was a newborn. So it was a, it was quite a long road. Um, and it was really interesting too, because his parents and I at first had a pretty adversarial relationship. Um, mm. they were, they were in a really bad place in their life and I was being really judgmental. And a lot of times I was rooting against them, which I'm ashamed to say. Um, and I think they looked at me as you're the woman trying to take our child away from us. And now it's crazy. We have an amazing open adoption. They have, um, done so well, they've gotten clean and they've, they've really gotten their life together and they are just awesome people. And I never thought that we would be friends, but, but we are, and I'm so excited that we can do that for Jack. 
Wow. So do you see them? Does he see them frequently? What is that relationship like? We do. So we see each other about once a month um, and they come over to our house. They, um, Jack has uh, one older brother and two younger brothers. So they'll bring his brothers and uh, like last month they came over and we had a little pool party in the backyard and um, all the boys played together. And sometimes I'll babysit their other children if they can't find a sitter. And we text all the time. I mean, I text his mom probably daily. So um, it's a really amazing relationship and it's just really cool um, how far both of us have come and how we've been able to do the best thing for Jack, even if it wasn't necessarily always what either of us wanted to do. So, um, you know, having an open adoption is a little bit like entering a marriage, like you're in it for life. (laughs) We are in this relationship together for all of Jack's life and it's going to have its ups and its downs and its awkward moments. But, um, I'm just really excited that we're in such a great place. That's amazing. This is kind of a weird question, but does Jack call you mom? He does. Yeah. Okay. So I'm the only mom he's ever known. Okay. So I'm definitely mom, but we talk really openly. And I have, since he was a baby, reading books about adoption. And we talk about his mom. He calls his mom and his birth mom and dad by their first names. Okay. But we talk about, that's Miranda. And you are in her tummy. And, um, you know, he's three. So that's kind of the level that he'll, he understands now. But eventually, as he gets older, we'll share more of that story as to what exactly happened. Um But yeah, we talk about that a lot. And um, that's the great thing about adoptions these days. I think, you know, back in my mother's generation or certainly my grandmother's generation, it was a secret. And a lot of times people didn't even know they were adopted. Um, And now it's just something that we talk about so positively and all the time. And um, I hope that when he grows up, even though he may have questions or he may have um, all kinds of feelings about it, um, at least he'll always know that he knew the truth and he knew how much he was loved by everybody involved. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And so tell me about the process of going from being a foster parent to, did they ask you to adopt him or do you have to say, if it comes to this, I'm interested in adopting? What does that process look like? Yeah, that's a a great question. Um, The process is a little bit different in every case. So whenever people ask me a question about foster care, it's always like, well, it depends. Um, (laughs) But in general, um, when there is a child in foster care and their case plan is moved to adoption, and that's determined by a judge and attorney, um, then usually the foster parent is the first person that um, DCS will approach and say, are you interested in adopting? Which makes sense because the child has probably been with them for a while. And other times there might be other family of the child who might step up and and be interested or something like that. Um, But yeah, they, DCS asked and I of course said yes. And we were able to um, enter mediation with um, Jack's birth parents. So um, rather than having their rights um, terminated by the court, um, unwillingly, they um, were able to sort of mediate and say, okay, we understand that we are not able to be his parents. We are not fit to be his parents. Um, and so we will consent for you, Elizabeth Friedland, to adopt him. Um, and then you sort of talk about what that post-adoption plan looks like. So we actually negotiated the open adoption as part of that. And um, I think that was a really key moment in our relationship um, because I was sort of recognizing their grief and their loss of they're, you know, literally losing the rights to their son forever in this moment. And at the same time, it was one of the happiest moments in my life. So there's that 
very strange situation right there. It's one of the saddest, most traumatic moments of their life. One of the happiest moments of my Mm -hmm. life. And then at the same time, you're trying to work through what does our relationship look like for the rest of Jack's life together. Um, But ultimately, we were able to come to that great agreement and it's um, worked out really well. And now, even though we have a legal agreement that says what our open adoption looks like, um, it's, we're not, it's not like we're seeing each other because the contract says we have to, we really are family now and we talk like family. And um, so that's been really great to see. That's amazing. So you say, I mean, your answer of, well, of course I'd adopt him. (laughs) I don't think everybody who fosters children, and this is not a negative thing necessarily would have that same answer. Yeah, that's a great point. And a lot of people are in foster care because they're, they feel like their calling is to foster and they may say no to an adoption because, um, you know, if they adopted every kid that came through their care, they wouldn't be able to necessarily keep fostering. Right. Um, or sometimes there are practical reasons they, they can't necessarily afford a child, um, you know, for their entire life or, or it's, maybe it's just not a great fit and that is totally okay. Um, in fact, when I entered fostering. Um, I did it with the intention of not wanting to adopt. I was like, I never want forever kids. I don't want to adopt. I don't want my own biological kids. I really want to do this for the short term, be a great home for these kids. And then they get reunified with their parents and everybody's happy. So, um, Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, I mean, that's totally okay to go into that with, nope, I'm just going to be that, that temporary parent. And that's my role here. I mean, that's a very Mm -hmm. important role to play. Yeah. So you and, and Jack have another foster there's another foster child in your in your home now yeah and has he has he experienced any others since he's been in your care yeah so jack has had a rotating cast of temporary brothers and sisters okay um, in his time um in fact let's see he's had um five okay other children. And, um, a lot of people will ask, you know, I'd really like to foster, but I'm afraid that my kid's going to get super attached to the the foster child. And then when they leave, they'll be traumatized. And that's a very real concern, I think, especially as Jack gets older. Um, but I also think it's a really great opportunity to teach your kids compassion and hospitality and love and to teach them that it's our job as humans on this planet to help each other out. Like it's not Mm -hmm. optional. (laughs) And, um, so, you know, there are times where Jack will ask, um, you know, where's so-and-so and And it does make me sad when he asks and he'll say, you know, I miss them. Mm. And that hurts as a mom to hear that. Um, and so we'll talk about what we can do. Do we want to look at pictures of them? Let's talk about those fun stories. And sometimes it's just giving him a hug and saying, I know I miss them too. Um, but I think as he gets older, it's just a really cool way that he can understand how to um, show love to his fellow humans. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. But yeah, so yeah, we do have um, a teenager with us now and it's the first time we have um, first time I fostered a teen. So it was a really big shift for us. Um, She's the first kid that we've had that can sleep through the night and (laughs) can like use the bathroom by herself. So it's kind of an adjustment for me. Um, But she is amazing. I think a lot of people are afraid to foster teens. I was one of them because, <laughs> um, you know, teens can be scary and their hormones and there's just a whole new set of things that you're dealing with. But she is so amazing. I mean, she is an amazing woman. She's so mature and poised and she's got these amazing goals and she's funny and it's been nice to have another girl in the house. <laughs> and talk mm, about- Yeah. 
So um, it's just been really great. And I am just so excited that we found how long have you had her in your home? Uh, Just one week. Oh, okay. It's a very new relationship and we're all just kind of settling into the routine, but um, Jack is obsessed with her and um, it's been going really well. So hopefully it will be a great situation for her for uh, a long time to come. Yeah. Do you know how long she might be with you? She would like to stay for the rest of her um, senior year. She's a senior in high school, um, which just started. So probably a while. Okay. Um, and uh, we're just really excited. Um, I think the other reason why people don't necessarily want to foster or, or, or adopt an older child is because there is this um, perception that, well, with a, a newborn or a toddler, you get to experience all of their firsts, right? Their first steps, their first words. But even in just the week that we've had, um, I'll call her Michelle, it's not her real name, Um, even just in the week that we've had Michelle with us, there have already been so many exciting firsts. Like I made her take a first day of senior year picture that she was excited about and she had her first driving lesson. And um, so there are just still such exciting milestones, even for a 17 year old, um, that are really fun as um, a temporary stand in parent that uh, you get to go through with your, your, the kid in your care. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So she's a senior in high school. You live in Indianapolis. Is her school virtual? It is virtual. Okay. Tell me how that's going. Well, it's funny because, uh, you know, I work from home now as well. And so we both use Microsoft Teams for our meetings. So we're sort of like both on <laughs> on conference calls all days, which is sort of hilarious. <laughs> um, so, but it's actually been going really well. She works on top of it and um, she's on the soccer team and she's in band and she's doing e-learning and um, she is just like an unstoppable force. So it's been actually very, very smooth so okay, far. Okay, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> And is your son, so you're working from home. She's doing school from home. How about your son? Is he with you guys? Do you have childcare for him? How do you balance all of that? He is actually in person. He goes to a very small private school. So they were able to, to feel like they could open safely. So he started preschool. So I have a preschooler and I have a senior and, um, it's, it's, I feel like I'm at both ends of the spectrum and it's just been so fun. (laughs) That's awesome. You have such good energy, Elizabeth. I can see how much fun it probably is to be in your home. I hope so. I hope, I hope, I hope our teenager would say that. We'll see. (laughs) I'm waiting for my first eye roll so that I really feel like I'm on. Oh, for sure. You'll get that at some point, I bet. That seems like a natural thing for a 17 year old to do, regardless of how happy they are. Exactly. Yeah. You can't be a teenager unless you roll your eyes at your parental face. Right. Exactly. So what do you do in your day job? Uh, I uh, work in the marketing department. I'm a marketing and communications leader for um, a big public company. So it's a pretty big job, and um, I I manage a fairly large team there. So it's a lot of um, multitasking, but it's been so great. My um, company has been very supportive of of my fostering and my adoption, and um, it's really great when you see employers who support that. Um, and in fact, I, I worked for a company uh, previously when I first started fostering, and they were super supportive as well. Um, some companies don't necessarily um, recognize or validate foster parents as quote unquote real parents, and I've been really fortunate that both companies that I've worked for while I have fostered have been. So I am just super, super thankful for that. That's great. But you yeah. haven't always been in Indianapolis, you were in New York prior. 
I was, yeah. I did two stints in New York. Um, after my freshman year of college, I moved to New York to be a nanny, actually. It was a couple of weeks after 9-11 happened, so that was a wow. wild time to be living in New York. Um, and then I went back again about a year after college and worked in public relations out there. And I like to say I was like the most unhip Brooklyn resident ever. <laughs> <laughs> That's my my sad claim to fame. <laughs> you know, I am laughing too because you've had you've done a bunch of things in your life for having said you never wanted children. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I am like <laughs> I I mean I've always really loved kids, but I've also I, I've been able to be really selfish in life and kind of loved it. I liked traveling when I wanted to and just, you know, doing my own thing. And so as much as I loved kids, I was like, "Oh no, I don't want that responsibility forever." And now here I am. So never say never. That's the other <laughs> right? thing all of this. Never say never. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, at least you and Jack can, you can take him on some good adventures. I'm sure that there are limitations when you have foster children about where you can actually travel to. Yeah, there are some limitations. Um, you have to get like court permission. But um, but yeah, I mean, that's the fun thing is, you know, now you have, I have little sidekicks to travel with me. Right. So that's exciting. And to be able to show them the world is really fun. Well, you know, once COVID passes, then I can show them the world. <laughs> yes. Once COVID passes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it's thinking about that for me too. There's some, there's so much beauty of seeing something through a child's eyes or through different, different children's eyes, right? The world, maybe it's something you're doing every day, but there's a, you have a foster child in, in your life during this period, and then you get to see it through their eyes. And then maybe you're seeing it through Jack's eyes. And that's, that's a really great way to see the world. It's amazing. I mean, I, I think the holidays are so much more fun when you have kids also, they just add such magic to it. But then, you know, being able to see children who, you know, might not have been used to a safe home or a loving home or a home where anybody cared, you know, when they were coming and going and how they react to that. Um, you know, I don't want to talk too much about specifics because I want to respect Michelle's privacy again, not her real name. So, um, <laughs> but, um, you know, there have been some moments even in the past week where she's, you know, made a comment about something that has made me realize, oh, wow, not every kid is used to a stable environment or um, somebody who really wants to help them or be involved. And it, it makes you so sad, but it's also makes you really happy that you can do that. And also just grateful. I mean, you know, there are a lot of things that I take for granted, um, or that I complain about. I, you know, I want a bigger house. I want, you know, nicer this or nicer that. And then you see someone who just hasn't been used to having much of anything. And they think it's just like the most amazing situation in the world. And you're like, well, yeah, I guess it is. Like I've got, everything I've wanted and more. And, you know, just by virtue of living in this country, I am luckier than a lot of the world. And so it's just, it's great to sort of reframe your reality. And I think that's why I'm such a optimist, even to sort of a naive fault is um, there's just a lot to be grateful for and thankful for if you've got a roof over your head and food in your cabinets, you know. Mm -hmm. That's a great way to look at the world and that you have experiences that come into your life that help you level set that too and to realize that yeah absolutely and you know it's also been fun too with a teenager in terms of um seeing life through her eyes just uh, like realizing uh 
how old I am. <laughs> like, it's been fun. I, I like to think that I'm like, you know, I'm still with it. Like, I'm a cool mom. And then there have been things that she said that I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. I am such a mom right now. So it's been, it's been interesting to see that part of it, too. And just to get that glimpse into, like, teen culture that I haven't had a glimpse into for a really long time. So it's a little bit nostalgic and fun to see that side of things, too. Okay, tell me, tell me one of the teen culture things that you're like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Well, I mean, she texted me something. And I think, you know, like, part of my job is to oversee our social media team. So I feel like I'm pretty up on, like, slang and memes and like text abbreviations but she sent me something and I was like I have no idea what this means and I had to look it up on Urban Dictionary and I'm like I am the oldest person alive right now I don't know what this means uh, yeah just things like that or you know she was teasing me because I went to bed at 10 o'clock which I think is super like 10 o'clock is super late for me and she was like you're going to bed already I'm like yes and this is late right and I need to function I need that sleep now that I have two people in my house that are sleeping through the night right hopefully so yeah it's it's just been really fun to see that and um yeah it's it's been you know to see like what what do you listen to now and you know how what does your world look like now that you're a teenager so um it's been fun to relive that well and I think the world now for teenagers is so much more complex than I feel like it was for me oh my gosh yeah I mean just, you know, all of the influences on social media and she's got this, you know, phone. So people are always connected to her, which, you know, I didn't have to worry about nope. when I was in high school. Um, and just in her particular situation, just everything that she's balancing, two jobs and soccer and band and school and um, and her friends and her future goals. I mean, um, that's more than a lot of kids manage and she's doing it just beautifully. So, um, yeah, she lives a, a very different teenage existence than I did for a number of reasons, but it's, um, uh, yeah, I'm like proud of her already. And I'm, this is where she'd probably roll her eyes, but it's just, <laughs> it's so cool to see, um, what an awesome young woman she is. That's awesome. And has, has she been with other foster families prior to being with you guys? She has not. And okay. there's actually um, a slight distinction. So she's technically not in foster care. We are hosting her and it gets a little tricky. It's just kind of a ma- matter of semantics, but for all intents and purposes, that's what it is. Um, but this is her first time um, being in a host home. So um, I think she didn't quite know what to expect and we didn't know what to expect. And because she's almost an adult, she'll be 18 in a few months. Um, you know, we're really approaching it from um, two adults kind of negotiating terms mm-hmm. um, perspective. And so that's been kind of fun too, to be able to talk through some of these things and, and meet in the middle sometimes. Yeah. It's crazy to think 18, age 18 is an adult. I don't think I was really an adult at age 18. I wasn't an adult at 30. Like the adult limit needs to be raised to like maybe 35, I guess. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I'm I'm with you. Yeah. (laughs) Hey everyone. I hope you're enjoying my conversation with Elizabeth. I'd like to take a moment to thank a sponsor. Today's sponsor is HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh's recipes are so delicious. The thing I love the most about HelloFresh is that they offer so many recipes to choose from each week, which really helps me break out of my recipe rut. I love that it has helped me try new recipes and combinations. It also cuts out stressful meal planning and grocery store trips so that you can enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table, which is critical in my busy household. HelloFresh is flexible and can fit your lifestyle. You can easily change your delivery days or food preferences and skip a week whenever you need. HelloFresh donated over 2.5 million meals to charity in 2019. And this year is stepping up their food donations 
amongst the coronavirus crisis. So you can get it on this too. Go to hellofresh.com forward slash illuminate 80 and use the code illuminate 80 to get a total of $80 off. That includes free shipping on your first box. Additional restrictions apply. Please visit hellofresh.com for more details. Again, go to hellofresh.com and use code illuminate 80 to get a total of $80 off. All right, enjoy the rest of my conversation with Elizabeth Friedland. So you are definitely an optimist. I am curious about some of the challenges that you have faced during this process because you you do paint a beautiful picture of it and but I know that underneath there there have to be some hard days and hard situations. And what are some of the bigger challenges that you have seen along this journey? Yeah, I mean, there are so many. <laughs> um, I think there are some really, um, some of the more trivial challenges I'll say are just like dating. You know, I am a single woman mm-hmm. and um, I would love to be married one day. I'd love to find a partner, but it's really hard logistically to date when you are a solo mom um, and have kids. Um, so there's just that. And then it's also um, not everybody that you meet is necessarily supportive or gets it. And it's mm-hmm. it's a hard thing to get. Um I was dating a guy recently, uh, sort of during the pandemic and we had two different foster babies come into our care while I was dating him. And it, and and I totally get it. This is not a diss to him, but it just sort of threw him for a loop. He's like, so at any time you could just have more kids in your home. Like, but what does that mean for us and for me? And and it's just, it's a tough thing. Mm Um, and then just the logistics of, you know, whether you're a foster or adoptive mom or a biological solo mom, just finding the time and the energy (laughs) to, to want to meet somebody. So there's that. Um, and financially it's tough too. I think there is this perspective that foster parenting is a job that you get paid for or that foster parents are in it for the money. Um, nothing makes me angrier when I hear people say that foster parents do get a small per diem each month to help cover childcare expenses and I'm very open about that because foster care, um, a lot of people, you know, finances are a concern. They want to foster, but they're not sure they can afford to. And um, it varies state by state and child by child, but it's usually anywhere between like four and $600 a month that you're getting, which is definitely helpful. But, you know, for anybody who's had an infant in daycare, that- Yeah, it doesn't cover that much, right. (laughs) Not even covering a fraction of your daycare. Um, so, you know, just financially being the single income earner and then, um, providing uh, a home for two children, um, is tough. And in Michelle's instance, um, since she's not technically in foster care, it's another sort of system, um, that supports children who need to save home. Um, there isn't any financial or material support. So it's just a little bit, um, I don't want to use the word burden because I love doing it, but it's just a reality. Mm-hmm. Um, And then also, I think, you know, something that I have personally struggled with, and I know there are other foster moms I'm close to, and solo moms who struggle with this too, is just anxiety, Um, especially during the pandemic, it came out for me. But it's a lot to take on the responsibility of one or two or three lives and know that it's all on you. Like, Mm -hmm. you have to provide financially. You've got to provide emotional support. You've got to make all the logistics work. And um, a lot of times, even though you might have good friends and and family, there's nobody that's necessarily in your home looking out for you or partnering with you. And so that can be a really isolating and lonely and sometimes depressing experience. 
And for me, that comes out in anxiety. Um, it's something I've dealt with my whole life, but it really peaks um, when I have a new um, child in my home because it is just that like, oh, S-H-I-T moment of like, yeah. it's it's all on me now. Oh my gosh, but who's going to look out for me kind of thing. So um, there are definitely days where it is really tough and you're just like hanging on to anything to give you hope and to carry you through the next day. But it's also, even if I think about the darkest days of it, um, it's also the best decision I've ever made personally. And I know a lot of other solo women would say the same thing. When you say you hang on to the hope, what are those, what are those hopeful moments or who's the person that you go to, to help? Cause you have to have that support. Yeah. I mean, I do have really great friends and family who pitch in as, as often as they can, um, you know, just babysitting or just being my emotional support. Um, you know, so the, I'm really lucky there. Um, but I also think it's just the hope of seeing the big picture. Um, you know, sometimes people will say to me like, gosh, like, why are you doing this? Just, this doesn't seem convenient. And, you know, it seems like you're getting run down and like, just stop already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I get it. Um, but at the same time in the big picture, like, what else are we here for if it's not to help someone and change someone else's life? Yeah. And, um, you know, so I'm a little more tired and I've, I'm a little fatter than when I started <laughs> this and, and just blame uh, it on COVID. Yeah, it's, it's totally, yeah, it's definitely COVID. It's not something that's slowly been happening for four and a half years. Um, but like in the grand scheme of things, it's worth it in the end. Um, and I also just now that I'm a mom to Jack, I think of it as like if something ever happened to me and Jack was in a position where he needed somebody's help, I hope that somebody would hang in there and and be what he needs them to be. And so there's that big picture too. Yeah. Um, and then I also have my faith too, which really helps of like, I can get through this. Like sometimes it's just hour by hour. Sometimes it's minute by minute um, that we can get through this too. And also my single foster and adoptive mom friends, um, you know, sometimes we'll just have text messages where it's like, I need you to just like breathe with me for 30 seconds and get you through this moment. And um, that's really helpful too. That's great. I mean, I'm still stuck on... Mr. Wright hasn't shown up. I don't understand that. This is a, this is a co- confusing to me. Yeah, <laughs> you, you're the whole package here. Campaign to find him. That would be really. <laughs> I need some help here, people. <laughs> what would what kind of advice would you give somebody who might be interested in going down this this journey, this life path? Yeah, I would say. Um, first of all, do as much education as you can. I mean, read all the books. There are other, uh, so I have a podcast on fostering, but there are lots of other great podcasts on fostering and adoption. Understand um, others' experiences who have been through this. So you feel like you're getting the full picture, both the really amazing positive parts and the really terrible hard parts. Um, And then I would also um, make sure that you are prepared. So one of my friends, Hallie, who is a a single foster and adoptive mom um, and an attorney, I don't know how she makes it work as a single woman who's an attorney and foster and adopts, but she's incredible. Um, She always tells people you need at least one of the following three things, preferably two, a lot of support, a lot of money, or a lot of flexibility. (laughs) 
Okay. So you have one of those. Like you don't have to have a lot of money and flexibility, but you do have to have a lot of support from friends and family or vice versa. Um, so to be realistic about this, because even if your heart is in the right place, even if you have the best of intentions, um, if you aren't in a stable point in your life, emotionally, physically, financially, um, it's going to hurt you in the long run, but it's also going to hurt the kids that you're trying to help. So, um, you know, it's okay if you need to wait a few years until you feel like you're ready to do it, but it's also definitely possible. I've met women um, in all different kinds of careers, all different situations, all different income levels who make this work and who thrive doing it. So it is totally possible if it's something that you really feel like you're being called to. That's awesome. I think there's three things. That's, that's a good way to look at it <laughs> if you're going to step into it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hopefully yep. you have two, but yeah, exactly. if you have one, that's a good starting point. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that's great. Elizabeth, we're at our nearing our time together. And so I wanted to just ask you a couple of our end of podcast questions. I am ready. All right. So you are somebody who illuminates in your life in so many ways. And in, you've illuminated in so many other people's lives, not only those 11 children, but just the community around you that get to experience you. Who illuminates in your life for you? Oh man, it's definitely my single foster mom friends. Um, you know, sometimes when people are like, wow, you're doing such great stuff, Elizabeth. I'm like, hi, you haven't met my friends yet. They're doing way more than I am. They're doing it better than I am. Um, Hallie Graves, Brianna Klassen, Megan Lauer. Um, those are the three that come to mind that are my closest sort of solo foster and adoptive mom friends who just, um, just do this with such grace and they balance their amazing careers and they are always asking what they can do for other people, even though they have so much on their plates and uh, they're just superheroes. And if I can be like happy as great as they are, I will be so thrilled. Oh, that's awesome. I My guess, though, is that they also feel the same way about you. Oh, they're they're very lovely, but like they're they're just so great. And they're all on Instagram. So if you're thinking about fostering or adopting, give them a follow. And it's a good way just to get a perspective into the other kinds of lives of, of single foster and adoptive moms to see how it might work if you're interested. That's awesome. I will make sure that the, they're tagged in our show notes so that anybody can reach them. What is a book rec recommendation you have? Either something you've read that's profound to you recently or maybe something that is helpful along this journey if anybody's interested. Yeah, um, I think one of my um, favorite books is called Til To the End of June. It's either To the End of June or Till the End of June. I'm going to Google this really quickly just so I can make sure that I'm giving you the right name. Yeah, it is To the End of June. Um, it is a great book that is a, a nonfiction piece that takes a deep dive into um, the stories of some children in foster care and their foster families. Um, and it's really eye-opening. It shows the problems with the system. It shows the amazing foster parents and the not-so-great foster parents. Um, it's kind of a heartbreaking read, but it's really important um, for anyone who's interested in being involved in the system, but also just for the broader community to understand and to, to know this huge need that we have. I am curious when you were talking about the foster care system in that book, I mean, what, what are some of the challenges that you've seen in the system since you've been doing this? Yeah. I mean, the first one that comes to mind is caseworkers are overworked and underpaid. Um, mm -hmm. You know, 
they're you, they're asking caseworkers to have master's degrees and to work 60 hours a week with 300 cases, but you get you know $33,000 a year, and it's um, there's just a lot of turnover, and they um, because they're so overworked, they can't keep their cases straight, and so that's when things start to fall through the cracks. That's mm-hmm. when you hear about you know a child in care who hadn't been checked on, and it turns out he was being abused or neglected. Um, so there there has to be more funding to hire more caseworkers and to pay them better. Um, but also some of the foster care laws need to change right now. Foster parents don't have a lot of rights, even though we are, um, charged with protecting and educating and caring for and loving these children and using our own resources. We have very few, if any rights over these children. Um, and in some cases that's great because the whole point of foster care is for the child to reunify with their biological parent. But um, in some cases, that really is a dangerous situation and foster parents need to have the rights to advocate for the child in their care um, and and try to bring a case about for their best interest. And sometimes um, the DCS is, is lacking in that department. So those foster parent rights, more caseworkers, better paid, better paid caseworkers, um, and just overall more support for the system. Um, there are just so many kids in care and they just need so many more resources to adequately care for all of them and more foster homes. Um, you know, I remember one night I went into the DCS office to pick up um, a child and there were two kids sleeping on the floor of the DCS office. And that's because they couldn't find a foster home for them. They're, they're literally sleeping in these offices. Um, so for anybody who's even just maybe thought, well, maybe one day I'll do this. Like you are so desperately needed. Um, and, it's, it's just a great thing to do. Oh, that's so sad. They already need a place to go and then they're sleeping in those offices. Yeah. I just, I can't imagine. I mean, I, I literally, I have goosebumps and I'm choking up thinking about like Jack sleeping in an office with no one to care for him and no place to go. And it's, um, oh, yeah, I'm going to cry. Yeah. So, um, and I think, you know, one hesitation people have is, uh, my house isn't big enough. I don't make enough money. These kids just, all they want is love. And if you can afford to put food on the table and if you have a roof over your head, like that is more than enough for these children. And, um, it's just, it's so desperately needed. Yeah. And even the caseworker, I mean, it's like the woman who dropped off your first, your first foster child that you had three minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I've gotten calls from caseworkers like weeks after a child has moved on to a relative and they're like, oh, hi, I'm coming to check on so-and-so. It's like, no, they were reunited with a family member weeks ago and they just, they don't know because they couldn't keep up with it. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, like, like no wonder these children are dying in care. Um, so yeah, it's just a system in need of reform. And um, slowly, I think we're starting to see changes, but it's certainly not quick enough for the kids that are in the system now. Is that your next project? Gosh, I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there are some people doing some really great things in that space now. Um, So I do what I can to support and to let other people know about this because I think a lot of the community, unless they're involved, they just don't know much about this. And when they do hear about it, they do want to get involved and they do want to do more. So it's just about raising that awareness. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like there is a lot that needs to be done there. And yeah. maybe this will raise some awareness or pique someone's interest or at least get somebody new involved in, yeah. in the system. Yeah. All right. And then my last question for you is what is your message for the world? I think my message for the world 
is get in the arena. So Brene Brown talks about that a lot. Like she was uh, an author uh, um, who's done a bunch of really famous TED talks about um, uh, being vulnerable and, um, and sort of living your best life for lack of a better word. And she has this phrase about getting in the arena and getting dirty. Um, a lot of people want to talk about changes. They want to complain about what's wrong with the world. Um, but unless you're like actually in there getting your hands dirty and doing the work and it doesn't, it doesn't count. <laughs> so, you know, um, yeah, advocacy is great. Petitions are great. Posting about things on social media, that, that's all great and also needed. But we also need people who are like, I'm not just going to complain about the kids who are being neglected. I'm going to like put my money where my mouth is and I'm going to offer up my home to them. So I just really urge people, whatever your cause is, if it's not foster care, if it's something else, Lord knows there are a million things that we need to do better in this world. Like really get your hands dirty and get in the arena and make that change. And you know, every night I pray something, which sometimes I'm scared to pray because I'm afraid he'll act, God will actually answer it one day. But I always say, use me up. <laughs> like, use me for however you need me because the purpose of my life and everybody else's life here is to give it away. Like, I want to give all of this away. That's that's what we're here for. And that's a really scary thing to do. And I need to do more of it. Um, but that's what I would wish everybody would do. And this world would be such an amazing place. Thank you so much, Elizabeth, for your wisdom, your optimism, and for sharing your incredible journey. I know I am certainly thinking about what I'm doing to get into the arena. What are you all thinking about? How are you getting into the arena? Thanks so much for listening today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow us on Instagram at The Illuminate Podcast. Have a wonderful week.